This is Many Windows, the podcast about education for anyone and everyone who cares about education. My name is John Cassie, and I'm joined as always by my dear friend and co-host, Jennifer McGlemory. Jennifer, you've had a bit of a day. I have. I've been back to back to back to back Zoom meetings today. So I was listening to a bunch of our uh, COVID episodes in preparation for this episode and was noticing that on a good day, my voice sounds like I ate a bag of glass before (laughs) the episode. I I always thought I had a nice voice. And then (laughs) I just listened to a bunch of them and it's not vocal fry exactly. It's, I guess, just the way my voice sounds. So that's disappointing. Well, you know, it's, it's a... If we'd had any sense, we would have decided to record on Monday morning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, ed- ed- educators on Friday, uh, you know, at the when school ends, and then we basically record this more or less when school ends, um, are not in their right mind. They don't <laughs> have their best voice and mostly want to be left alone for, <laughs> you know, for, for some indeterminate amount of time. Please don't talk to me. Please don't bother me. Right. This, I just need to. This is why my idea for Drunk Education, I think, is a great one. Our new podcast. Yes, it's a great idea. Right? Yeah. Where we go to happy hour first and then we talk about important issues of education. <laughs> yes. That's uh, season three will be. Uh, <laughs> um. Yeah, you know, it, it's been, because we've been live now for over a month, there's a certain degree of both settling into it, right? Feeling reasonably confident that what we put in place is working, but also a realization that we still have a fair amount of work to do to get all the balance right. Mm. In other words there's there's a, a a limited capacity of faculty to work the pace that this requires and to prepare at the level of complexity that this requires right so we're trying to figure out some way to move on that where we take take the foot off the gas every now and again in a very thoughtful way and students are doing well but even they, you know, sort of feel a bit, uh, you know, like a, like in the Lord of the Rings movies, you know, Bilbo said, I feel like butter spread mm. too thinly over too much bread, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a certain degree of everyone feels a little thinned out, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I can definitely appreciate that this week. That's what I'm really worried about. Where we're at right now, of course, we're, we're still in 100% distance learning. Right. But today, I had to send out to all of the parents a commitment form asking them, if we are in uh, the red zone, as it's called, we're in the purple zone, which is worse, right? Usually the right. red zone is the worst, but we're in the uh, red zone actually allows you to bring some kids back onto campus, right. not open like everything is normal, but something that's like a hybrid model where we can have about half of the kids on Mm -hmm. campus at once. So we are, because we're getting close to that, we're starting to plan for that for second semester. What does that look like? You know, this, what we're calling a hybrid schedule, because they would be coming to school for three periods a day, either in the morning or the afternoon, and then they would still have an 
what we're calling asynchronous online work to do for the rest of the students would for the rest of the time when they're not in school. But for the teachers, they are teaching each class twice because they're teaching right. it to the half of the class in the morning and then again to the other half of the class in the afternoon. And I am concerned about that because we're going from teachers being at home teaching three classes a day and having the whole afternoon for planning and grading and um, adding material to their Google Classroom. And now they're going to be teaching all day and right. still have to be doing some of that um, planning for the asynchronous learning. You know, they'll right. have Fridays off is what we're looking at. But yeah, I'm really, I'm really worried about that, to be honest. I, we won't know until December what we're going to actually do if we will come back or if we'll just stay in this model, but we're planning for it. We're trying to get commitments from kids and parents so that we can work on what that schedule would look like when I take out the, the students that are going to choose a distance, 100% distance learning model and pull out the teachers that are going to go teach in that distance learning model and then whatever I'm left over with, I got to make that work and I want to try and keep kids with their teachers that they have now as much as possible. Right. It's right. a huge task. Right. There's a, there's a level of complexity at the best of times in a master mm -hmm. schedule. Right. And this particular set of circumstances and the fact that well-meaning public servants who are trying to read the data are still struggling to interpret it in a way that lets us move with enough notice mm. to, to, to prep and plan, right? Right. You know, there was a, an episode of This American Life that I listened to three or four days ago that featured a, a school in, I think, South Carolina, where over the course of the first day of professional learning for faculty, which is like five days before students return, they had three almost entirely contradictory sets of instructions from different <laughs> people who are in charge over them, right? So it's like the superintendent, oh, no, wait, the school board is saying this, oh, no, wait, the governor's going to issue this, blah, 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 right? And the... the teacher they were interviewing, he said, yeah, about, about four o'clock, a colleague of mine and I decided to just pop into the principal's office just to see if maybe the principal had some, some thoughts. And he was like, do you remember the, the scene in Apollo 13? <laughs> right? Where it was like a bomb had gone off and there was I people everywhere. <laughs> right? He's like, and he basically said something like, uh, yeah, we saw that and we stayed at the door. And then after just a few minutes, we quietly backed away. <laughs> backed away. The principal was in the corner in a huddle. <laughs> right. He's like the principal, the assistant principal, the department chair, the bup, 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 were all in there. And they were so buried in the intensity. Right. Um, and of course, what is all this? You know, what does all this mean? Look, this is the 10th episode and final episode of our COVID consideration miniseries. And you know what, Jennifer and I, we have no guests. It's just going to be the two of us kind of reflecting on the, the nine weeks that we've done up to this point. And one of the things about this experience for, for me and you know, for us is listening to other school heads 
and librarians and students and parents and, and teachers reflecting on what is making this a challenging experience, but also in some respects, hey, I'm learning these interesting things, I'm getting these takeaways. And you know, when you when you find yourself in a place where you know that you're doing a once in once in your career kind of experience. When you get a little time to reflect, at least for me, I always try to lean back into, well, what am I going to take from this forward to improve other parts of what I'm trying to do, right? And for me, listening to our guests, that's what it, that's what it was all about for me, right? Mm-hmm. I have talked about Hannah in episode one saying, you know what? we probably did better reading mm-hmm. and, and mathematical instruction in virtual with kindergartners. Yeah, these kindergartners and first graders learned how to read and we're gonna learn how that worked. But we probably did a better job there and we didn't lose the social that was so important to our school. I thought that was totally fascinating. Yeah, I just re-listened to Hannah's episode two because it was our it was the first one in this series. I wanted to just be fresh again. Right. And uh, one of the my takeaways from that episode also was, you know, right now we are we disparage Zoom, right? We we all talk about Zoom right. fatigue because it's right. it is real and we are facing it. And right. early on though, um, and even now we realize what a great tool it actually is for allowing people to get together when it's difficult for them to leave home. So Hannah talked about how more people were showing up to synagogue services right. and her the school-wide assemblies that she does. I It's still true that we have more people showing up to our PTSA meetings, right. any kind of informational meeting that I do on Zoom, there are more people attending those than when I do those live. Because right. of course, it is easier for people to just jump on the computer and, you know, are they attending as well? Whatever. But, you know, mentally attending. But they're there and hopefully they have access to us. And they are trying to connect with one another too, right? Ta- Hannah talked about people leaning in mm-hmm. um, to some of these opportunities to get together on Zoom meetings. Right. Well, the um, 50% so- attendance or, or 50% attentiveness mm. to something you are in in Zoom has got to be better at the end of the day than not going to a thing at all. True and not being aware of any part of the conversation at all. Yeah. Right. And even when people are in person, right? They're on they're looking at their phones, they're chatting to the person next to them. So right. people miss a lot in person too. Right. I mean, that's just the way it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um so that's a takeaway for me. Um Valier Shrupp's episode where she focused on social emotional learning, leaning into grace, right? figuring out how to build and sustain community. That was a huge, I mean, that's why I wanted her to come on. Yeah. Because I think that is, that is where we need to be in school life. And I've got a, a letter to the podcast um, that I'll read a little bit later that, that hits on, on some of that 
as well, right? Uh, you know, a colleague of mine here reflecting on our last episode where, you know, he said it made me think, and I want to share that with you and then kind of riff on that a little bit. Cool. The first yeah. thing Valer said is there's no learning without social emotional learning. Mm-hmm. That really resonated with me. And I also saw that idea coming up again and again with our different guests. Mm-hmm. The teachers understand it. Ronan talked about it. Everybody understands that, totally. that without the social emotional piece there. So we can be, we can be blazing ahead with our curriculum and we can be trying to squeeze everything into these Zoom meetings, but if we're not taking the time yep. and allowing the space for discussion, right? Ronan talked about the, the real need for discussion in classes and not just for the um, teacher to be, be lecturing on Zoom right. for an hour. Right. And don't right. send me into a breakout room again unless you know what you're doing. <laughs> right? We'll right. always remember that. Yeah, I will never forget that for as long as I live, right? And that's what Kathy's point's about. Yeah. Right? And the whole the whole point of, of what kindergarten is and has to look like is building a love of learning and getting those basic skills sorted out and paying individual attention so that you are aware of what the challenges are because if you don't get TK and K right, Mm. you build in obstacles that you should never build in. You should be taking them away. That was a huge takeaway for me. Yeah, I was thinking, I noticed a a phrase that was repeated by several people when we, we talk about social emotional learning, but the question is, how do you do it? Yep. And what I heard people saying is, you know, let kids tell their story, find ways. You know, that was um, Lori's first assignment was having students tell their story. You yep. as the teacher, how are you going to build community with this uh, group of learners online? You have to tell your story. Uh, you have to be vulnerable. Right. We heard that from our guests. Uh, and I think that's a a real takeaway, particularly now. I think we we know to do that at the very beginning of the school year, but sometimes we say, "Okay, we did that. Now it's time for teaching curriculum." And I feel, you know, just like you said, right now, everybody's pretty wiped out, students and staff. And yeah. we've got we've to continue that thread through the year. Exactly. Now, that, that actually suggests that this might be a good time to read the letter that my colleague sent to me, the email Great. that my colleague sent to me. Okay. So this is from Alan Krauss, who I've known for many years now, and I deeply value, uh, you know, as a colleague and a friend. Um, smart guy, creative teacher doing interesting work with uh, middle school math, okay? Cool. So he writes, uh, Dear John and Jen, great podcast as always. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> um, you gave Kevin a hard time for implying that covering content in math and science isn't important. He's referencing COVID considerations nine. <laughs> um, hi, I, however, don't think he's completely wrong, just 90% wrong. 
Educators like to talk about depth versus breadth. In math, breadth often wins out because the algebra teacher expects the pre-algebra teacher to have mm -hmm. covered X, Y, and Z. Who cares if students spend extra, extra time digging into the wonders of the distributive property? If they can't isolate a variable, they're not ready for the next year. That's the argument. And multiply that argument by 75 for all the items they have to know to move on. This year, it can't be so much about depth versus breadth, but rather survival versus the curriculum as a concept. Hmm. Quote, you want me to cover all this for my distance and in-person learners while trying to make the technology work? And by the way, we're all extra stressed and have less time? Hmm. That's the question. I like to see it as not breadth versus depth, but rather content versus experience. Maybe we won't dive into certain topics. Maybe we won't get to all of them. The reality is that many math students don't remember chunks of the material from year to year anyway. Every year students say, we never saw that, Mr. X didn't teach us that, and we all know it's not true. If, it's going, if that's gonna happen anyway, it's better to give them a richer and more enjoyable experience with math. Math and language are unique in that they require a lot of practice. The content builds unit to unit, year to year. We can't be dissecting chocolate chip cookies like our history teacher colleagues uh, doing archeology span all the time. But we can, whenever possible, try to make the experience more enjoyable. This year it's harder for me to use my standard tools. I've been trying to adapt while still providing a positive experience. It might be something as simple as a puzzle instead of a worksheet. It might be praising a small achievement so the student feels like they've achieved something. And it might be giving extra energy to my lesson videos. This year, if a student doesn't remember how to graph a line from an equation, but remember she was able to do the math asked of her and she had a reasonably enjoyable experience, that would be an amazing success in my mind. And I totally endorse that. Beautiful, really right? nice. That's right. right. Um, I heard somebody say the other day, you know, we teach children, we don't teach math. Correct. Right, or we don't, whatever that That's subject what this is. is. Right, that idea, yeah. yeah. Um, I've seen some teachers really knocking the ball out of the park with some of these technologies mm -hmm. that they are discovering. He talked about tools, mm -hmm. right? Um, and there is now, th this experience has given opportunities for innovation and forcing teachers to try new things and new technologies, right? We talked a lot about that. I think Lori talked about mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. You know, she's, she's trying to manage it. And that was early on. And she was giving herself like this week, I'm going to focus on, you know, Screencastify and, you know, her other program. And right. I've seen that too. We've done a couple of PDs on some of these um, programs that we've purchased because of course teachers need some time to play in the sandbox as we call it. Right. And I've been going in and doing observations and watching people using Pear Deck and we just bought Nearpod and some of these, it mm -hmm. all takes time to learn it and to right. uh, put your lessons into them. But I've seen the teachers doing some really cool things and I've talked with a lot of these teachers as we've debriefed afterwards, and they've said, some of this stuff I'm going to keep doing, right? This is not just a distance learning tool. I want to always use this. Full stop. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I've definitely heard the same thing um, from, you know, from, from colleagues as well, that um, I have 
been able to put the time in very strategically and in doing so have had these great takeaways that I would otherwise never have expected in terms of technology use. So that's amazing. Do you remember Lori talking about how she was using Screencastify to record directions and instructions for mm -hmm. her English learners mm -hmm. and recording some of them in their primary language? Mm -hmm. Amazing. I mean, you know, that's, uh, it takes a little bit. She also talked about how, you know, she would only record something in the maximum three times, right? I, I bet if I asked her now, she would say one time. Right. <laughs> it's one record, it's your authentic right. self. I went right. into a math class, sixth grade math class, and she had given a test. And, you know, normally as a teacher, you go over the test, you know, let's see how many people miss problem two. Let me show you the right way to do it. She right. had actually recorded little videos. She put the test back up digitally because I think she was using some sort of Google slide deck. Okay. So on the test, on each question, she had recorded herself solving it and why. And instead of her just droning on and on as if she was in front of the class and would normally do, she said, okay, kids, your assignment is right. find five questions that you got wrong, go and watch the, the video. And then right. they had to write what they had done you know, what mistake they had made, why they had gotten that answer. That's amazing. Isn't that so much higher level um, and so much, the kids will really learn from the mistakes that they made instead of just crumpling up the test and throwing it in the garbage and. Uh, right, I mean, and that's the whole, you know, the whole idea of it, right? Um, Jennifer, what's your sense of what we ought to be doing to support teaching and learning for the next six months? I think because we just, my experience just in the last couple of weeks, we did a fairly big training on one of these um, on Nearpod that we purchased. It was really important since we spent quite a bit of money on it that everybody be trained in how to use it. But now my teachers are saying, okay, stop. We need time now to work with our colleagues on writing lessons in these new programs with these new tools. Uh, we need time to just play around with it. Um, don't give us more trainings because of course there's 10 more trainings that I could easily have lined up of more tools and, and people are at all different places. So right. we, we talk in education about differentiating for students. We've, I have to take that lesson and do that with my staff too. Some people are still trying to work out the best way to use Google Classroom. And right. uh, they're not, they just feel overwhelmed when they have another professional development or training on another program. Right, right. Or, so, or, 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 right. Yeah, just like we're talking, we're talking about teachers doing this for students, slowing right. down. Right. Not piling on, figuring out what the essential standards are, what is the essential work you need to do. We as leaders have to do that for our staff as well. Right. For sure. Um, in fact, in some respects, that might be the, you know, the most important single thing that we have to do. Right. Um, I think about Alan's 
Alan's thought about survival versus curriculum. Okay. Mm. What are some parts of what we would generally do in grade eight that we would reinforce in grade nine and 10 anyway. So maybe we introduce it in nine instead of in eight and reinforce other skills in eight that we would normally say, well, we think students probably are close to mastery on that. Mm-hmm. But we have to assume that mastery is going to be harder to achieve in some parts for some kids. Okay. How do we do more personalization? How do we do more assessment of each individual to make sure that we're not letting something get passed down the line that maybe we ought to, or maybe we could have remediated before it became a problem. Right. So that's kind of where my, Mm. my head is a little bit. And also to think about how do we do, um, how do we do SEL in an environment of concurrent learning where some are live and some are, some are distant. Mm -hmm. Everyone's back but some are live, some are distant. Teaching in that environment is far harder than is generally presumed. Maintaining a cohesive classroom culture, even a good one that, even a good one, it's hard. Mm-hmm. And really good practice, nevertheless, sometimes we'll see these cultures kind of unravel a little bit. Mm-hmm. How do we do that? That's what I care about for the next six months. It was kind of cool in this meeting that I had this morning uh, with parents as we were discussing what reopening in January might look like and the options that the parents have to choose from. The one being the distance learning, that's not what they're doing right now. And it's, and for some of our grade levels, it's going to our independent learning academy. And the parents said, well, some of, some of our kids are involved in and love these lunch clubs that you guys have created. We've, we've always been, I don't know if I've talked about this yet, but we always do lunch clubs and when we're in person and kids make up whatever it is they want and fill out a little application and turn it in and they have to have a faculty sponsor. And, and usually what the faculty sponsor just does is opens up their classroom and stays in it for lunch so the kids can come and do their lunch club. And we've had everything yep. from Dungeons and Dragons to Legos to the Great British Baking Show to Fashion Club. I mean, you name it, like from obscure to popular. And we're doing that. We were like, how can we translate that to this distance learning? Well, it's not too hard. You set up a Zoom meeting now. That's what the, right. the faculty sponsor does is they set up a Google Classroom. We add the kids to the Google Classroom. That's how you communicate with this group that is not, right. that is not all together at any other point in the day. Right. So the parents are saying, well, how could we keep doing lunch clubs? And particularly if, if, if my child has to be disenrolled from your school to be enrolled in this other you know, alternative school within our district, are they still going to have access to that? And I said, well, you know what? That's kind of one of the benefits of these Google classrooms. They're not tied to my school database. They're mm-hmm. only tied to a child's email address. Right. As long as they have the same email address, which they will, we give them 
an email address that they have from kinder through 12th grade. Yep. They are still a part of this Google Classroom. They have access to the, the meeting code. They, have, they can communicate and chat with one another and send messages. And I'm like, there's no reason why we can't keep doing that. There's no reason why, even if you choose that distance learning model, that you, your child can't still be involved in those things. And that was kind of a cool realization. Right. Super easy. Yeah. Right. Um, there are, there are things we're going to take away from this that will make our practice better. It's hard to reflect on them now because we're living it, Mm -hmm. but it will be true. And that to me is my, you know, kind of my final, my final perspective as a, as a professional, right? right? Not being a parent, I don't have that particular perspective. Not being a student, I don't have that perspective. But as a, but, you know, half of our guests were practitioners, right? And that to me is is the biggest takeaway. What about for you? Yeah, uh, it's exactly the same. And we've actually been saying it this whole time is yep. that we're trying to glean from these episodes. What are those gems? that we don't want to forget, that right. we want to influence our practice long-term. Right. Um, and all of our guests have reiterated that exact same thing. That we, Hannah even said it, um, distance learning really works for some kids. Mm-hmm. It's, that's a lesson we have to learn and figure out on a more um, global, maybe it's too big of a word, but uh, certainly a perspective that just goes beyond my school site. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for some kids that she said for her introverts, they yep. are able to be involved and kind of have a voice because they have that extra layer of the screen. It does work for them. Mm-hmm. For some of my uh, high anxiety kids, this is actually working better for them. Ronan, you know, even though Ronan's an extrovert and yep. very social and is so involved in drama and and the performing arts, he really wants to be with his friends, but he acknowledges that uh, some of this works for him being able to kind of plan when he wants to work on schoolwork and the pace that he goes. Remember he talked about speeding up one of his teachers to 1.5 or something like that. Right. Right. Well, he has very high executive function. So if you do, then this is something that actually plays right into that. Yeah. For, for that kind of person and could actually be sort of exciting, right? Right. You know, oh, I've, I've got many individual projects that I'm keen to work on. I can accomplish what I need to do for school in slightly less time, allowing me to recapture time to do other things that are of interest to me. Okay, so what's the nature of school and time? Yeah. Right. Should everyone be going to the same place for the same amount of time? It's the Ken Robinson, why are we batch processing people as though everyone's the same if they were born in 1999? (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Right? Yeah, there's some real important takeaways for for school leaders. Yeah. um, In program planning. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. For us to consider as we proceed down the road. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? I do know that for 
we are now going to have to do 10 more episodes with the exact same 10 guests because at the end of every episode, you invited each guest to come back. I know. So I'm not sure where the thought process was on that one. (laughs) Well, you know, look, the problem is I get to the end of a conversation. You don't want it to end. And I'm like, oh, I I, I think you'd be totally interesting to talk to again. (laughs) Right? Yeah, I'm terrible. Yeah, we have to do them all over again now because... John said, John said, you get to be on again. Nur, 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 nur. They're all going to be calling us, dying to come back, I'm sure. Right. right. Why haven't you reinvited me? That's right. Yeah. Like, oh, whoops, we went on hiatus. Yeah. Which is what we're going to be doing. Um, uh, which is what we're going to be doing very soon, by which I mean when this episode is over. Immediately and, after uh, this episode ends. <laughs> yeah. And Jennifer and I are already talking about what season three is going to look like. And we uh, will have some more, some more thoughts on that when we get it firmed up ourselves. But, you know, it's, uh, it's late October. We'll probably return for season three in January. That's what I was so thinking. I and I was thinking yeah. probably the first thing we'll do is an update from each of us on, you know, so for me, we're looking at reopening in January and a yeah. hybrid model. So I'll be interested to see where are, are we actually doing that? Yeah. What, what was that like? Right. You know, that'll be something to report out on. How is, how's your staff doing in the model that you guys have been doing for a month? Right. Um, right. So it'll be, we'll be interested to see where we're at in January. And then we've got some ideas for some other things to talk about. Yep. <clears throat> we'll continue three. the work and, if we if we learn some things, you know, in the the next couple of months that suggest, well, we ought to take this new angle and bring different kinds of guests, or indeed bring get back guests that we've already had on mm-hmm. for perspective taking, then we'll do that. Yeah, that's that's for that's for down the road, and uh, we're grateful for the feedback, the uh, Facebook shares, the emails. And we look forward to continuing the conversation with you in a few months. Great. Okay. Thanks, John. All right, Jen. We'll talk soon, okay? Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.